Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. Amy Middleton here. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode of Women on the Line, we're talking about ethical clothing and the many complex meanings of that term. And I speak to two women doing great things in this area. Rebecca Carey-Smith is an accreditation advisor for Ethical Clothing Australia, an organisation that works to ensure that every person involved in the Australian-made clothing and footwear industry is treated fairly and receives adequate pay and working conditions. Also from Ethical Clothing Australia, Sigrid McCarthy has just launched Intent Journal, a magazine that explores the current fashion system and people's relationships with clothing with a focus on the slow fashion movement. I chatted to Sigrid and Rebecca about launching a magazine, buying clothes deliberately and thoughtfully, how to shop ethically, and what fashion means to us as people beyond a simple choice of outfit. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Women on the Line. We'll start with you, Sigrid. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about the idea behind Intent Journal? Yeah, for me, it's hopefully going to act as a facilitator for more engaged dialogue around ethics and fashion. I don't necessarily market it as an ethical fashion magazine, as I feel there shouldn't be any difference between ethical fashion and other. Um, I would like it to ultimately inject a level of mindfulness that I feel is lacking in the fashion industry at the moment. Um, by connecting with like-minded um, people in the industry and outside of the industry, just people that wear clothes in general. Um, and, yeah, try to understand their readings of ethics and fashion and how their personal values inform their relationships with clothing. Okay, so it's sort of from a consumer perspective and an industry perspective? Yeah, I'd like to sort of... Because I definitely have my own reading of ethics and fashion, but I'd really like to talk to other businesses and consumers and get to know sort of, yeah, how they read it and how they go about choosing the clothing that they they choose. So you talk a bit about, like, the complexity of this issue. What do you mean by that? Like, what are some of the different approaches? Yeah, I definitely feel that people are trying to oversimplify something that's, in fact, very complicated. Um, it is a subjective term, ethical fashion. Um, what might be ethical to you may not be ethical to me. Um, you've got both the environmental and social elements. It's, yeah, it's really complicated. Mm. And, you know, something might be made in a fair trade environment where all the workers throughout the supply chain are being treated fairly, but the product's made from leather. So is that ethical? I'm not going to say that is ethical for you because that's a very personal thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to define the term. I just want to understand how other people, yeah, read that term and how... Yeah, how that informs what they do in the fashion space. Okay. Um, and Rebecca, could you just give us some background on Ethical Clothing Australia? Yeah, so Ethical Clothing Australia is an accreditation body um, and we work with local textile clothing and footwear uh, manufacturers, brands um, who ma- are manufacturing their products here in Australia and basically work with them on their supply chain and make sure that everyone who is involved in the production cut, make, trim um, of their clothing or footwear uh, is getting paid their award legal wages and getting all their super and all their obligations um, as they should um, so that the company 
can be sure that you know their supply chain is transparent and ethical uh, because a lot of the time they just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So with yours is a bit less um, complex, it's a bit more black and white really, isn't it? It is in the fact that that is what we focus on and um, we focus on the labour side of the industry and we do that really well and our accreditation program is really robust. Um, but that's not to say that we don't think other parts of the industry there are issues and those issues are still important but there's other organisations that focus on those and do it well um, so yeah that's yeah. what we focus on and that's what we try and try and sort of improve yeah. here in Australia yeah. I think given the outsourcing model of the fashion industry and so many people give their work out and the supply chains have so many different levels often companies don't really understand who is at the bottom of the chain making their clothing so You'll often find that there are out workers, um, so garment workers that work from their home or garage, and a principal company won't have even realised that once they've contracted the work out that it's then been subcontracted out mm. and down the yeah the end of the chain. And that's what our accreditation program does. It, yeah. it maps that supply chain so that that company knows exactly where their products are getting made and that those people right down the bottom um, working from their homes are getting paid correctly and if they're not and it's found out that they're not then it, there's a um, collaborative process to improve those conditions um, up to yeah. scratch so it is very much a yeah a, as I said collaborative process and um, yeah we we really are working to improve with the companies rather than um, name and shame. yeah name and shame yeah. mm. people for doing the wrong thing because sometimes you know, they might not be aware that that yeah. is in fact the case. Yeah, I think often people assume that Made in Australia means that something's made ethically. Yeah. It's not always mm. the case, but I don't think companies are always knowingly exploiting workers. I think just given the lack of transparency and traceability in the industry, yeah, some brands are quite shocked to find out that mm. there's someone in the suburbs making their clothing, you know, outside of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, the media doesn't cover that really. Like, what it, it has in the past. Um but, you know, there has been an improvement lately um, and that probably has to do with the work that ECA has done over the years and also um, I think that the industry or and consumers as a whole are becoming, um, you know, more aware that it has been an issue and so businesses are really um, trying to sort of improve the way that they do things. But, yeah. yeah, it has been in the past. There has been, you know, Seven News busting sweatshops or whatever and you know we don't have anything to do with that as an organization because we are about promoting the people who are doing the right thing mm, um that's good yeah i think definitely since the rana plaza garment factory in bangladesh um that collapsed in 2013 i think it was in april we've definitely had a lot more interest both from a media mm. perspective and mm. consumer perspective with people wanting to know more about their clothing and where they can turn to find more ethical alternatives because that was quite a shock, I think, mm -hmm. a quite a reality check to the industry where over a 1,000 garment workers died in the collapse. And, yeah, it really cast a dark shadow mm. on the industry. And, I mean, internationally, the dialogue around the industry and the issues that there are um, globally has increased, definitely. Um, 
and that has happened in Australia. Um, you know, consumers are more aware, but um, yeah, it, it definitely is a global issue that we are trying to. We, we don't have anything to do with overseas supply chains, but um, you know, we're trying to do our part here in Australia. And the fact that um, you know this Rana Plaza collapse happened, um, the, and the increase in dialogue globally, I think that. We still need to remember that there is an industry here mm. and that it's still important that that remains and that the, the industry is, you know, um, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So how big, what's the scale of, um, like, uh, what did you call them? Outworkers? Outworkers. In Australia. Is it massive? There's not current statistics as to how, yeah, how many outworkers are working here. But through our work, yeah, we do work with... Yeah, I mean, it's not thousands. a bad form of work by no. any means. Like, no. some women like to work from home, and men too, because yeah. they look after their children or it's convenient for them. It's just given the hidden nature of that work, um, it's important that they're monitored and they're treated fairly and receiving, you know, the same entitlements that you would if you were working from a factory or a more formal environment. Sounds like a lot of work. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting work, mm, and yeah, um, yeah it, it very much is. We exist because of the history and the nature of the industry. You know, companies back in the day decided that they wanted to outsource instead of having their own factory, um, and employing a couple of hundred people to sew their jeans or whatever. They would start to started to outsource and. To do that, they wanted to get the lowest price. So literally they would, you know, say, okay, I need this dress made. Who can do it for the cheapest? And someone, you, it was just undercutting. And that's how it ha- has been for so long. And it's not, that's the model. That's how it works. It, that's fine. Can't really fight that, can Yeah, you? but mm. it's the, the we, we need to change it so that the outsourcing model doesn't just benefit the company at the top of the supply chain it actually benefits everyone um, involved I think what makes it a really interesting space and particularly an interesting organization is that we have both union and industry Mm. working together so our committee is made up of union and industry reps and so you get sort of a broad um perspective as to what the issues are balanced yeah yeah. and I think people are always surprised to um, understand that the brands that we accredit some of the most iconic Australian brands Mm. see supply chain management simply as good business you know RM Williams is accredited for their Australian made products Q Clothing Veronica Main you know right down to smaller emerging labels but yeah Akubra some of the really like Mm. iconic labels are accredited and, yeah, they don't see it as some sort of, like, ethical niche, you know. It's really an industry standard um, to know what's going on in your supply chain. Well, that's interesting because when I ask my friends who are up on this stuff um, where I should shop for ethically made clothes, Q always comes up. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think that's because of yeah. the accreditation? It would yeah. be, yeah. Majority uh, of their clothing is made in Australia and it's, yeah, all accredited with us. It's got so. ticks. Yeah. 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 And it's great because they promote that quite heavily. Yeah, it's our logos on their swing tag. They've had my window displays. So for us, that's really great when brands embrace their accreditation and want to tell their you know, consumers um, or their customers mm. that that's what they're about and it's an integral part of their business. And it's a nice story as well, you know, to say your product is made in Australia and you know that the workers involved have been treated fairly, you know, 
that's not a bad story. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Well, it brings us back to this idea that it is up to the consumer to a point, but it's a big job to mm. be on top of all this yeah. stuff. It definitely can't be solved by one group. It can't be mm. a consumer alone. It can't be just business. It needs to have an, a government-level involvement, mm. everyone working together towards a more traceable um, industry. And it's definitely not going to happen overnight. I do think we're going in the right direction, but as I alluded to before, it's extremely complicated and I do worry that, you know, similar to like a greenwashing, people mm-hmm. are going to start using these buzzwords that something's ethical, something's mm-hmm. sustainable um, without so really many, having much integrity behind those. There's so many different facets to it and I think, you know, even ECA, we say that, you know, a product is ethical from a labour perspective. But mm. yeah, as we Well, said, some of our brands do yeah. engage with organic fibres mm. and, you know, more of the environmental side of things. We only ever promote mm. um, or use the term ethical for the cut, make and trim of clothing in Australia. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what advice do you, would you, do you give to consumers? And maybe we can bring Intent Journal into this because um, even the name itself suggests that you should be going out and, and buying deliberately with, totally. with, with thought I think, behind it. Yeah, it's changing hats to Intent Journal now. I really <laughs> <laughs> I would like people to own their buying power and understand that what you spend your money on, it's, very, it's a very powerful thing to go and you know use that as a, a voting sort of system. I would love for people to start considering price per wear and purpose and... have intent in the way that they shop. What's price per wear? Well, I think people are so consumed by this idea of a bargain that they think, you know, going down to H&M and buying a $10 T-shirt is a real bargain when really they're going to have to replace it quite early on because the quality is so poor. So for me, you know, I've got a pair of R.M. Williams boots, for example, and you don't just, like, throw around, you know, $400. But for me, I see it as investment because I've paid for a really good quality boot that's made in Australia, made ethically. Last forever. Yeah, yeah, it's built to last. Yeah. And so for me, the price per wear comes into play because I think in the long run I'm going to save money. Um, and I think that's something that people often disregard when they go to a fast fashion chain yeah. or something that's poorly made. Um, and it's the the actual aesthetic of a product as well. You know, if you buy mm. something that's in fashion now, um, you're not going to, and you might be over it in a month or whatever, then you're not going to get your wear out of it. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think when it comes to the sustainable fashion space, People are very fixated on what something's made of. Um, you know, mm. everyone's obsessed with organic um, cotton at the moment, which I think is a good step in the right direction. But just because something's made from organic fibres or is certified, do you really need that product? Like, mm. I really am quite fascinated by the psychology behind fashion and why people bring things into their lives that may not serve any purpose. Mm. Um, you know, for me, I don't buy a lot of um, first-hand clothing yeah, per year, I would say I buy a handful of things, if that. But I really think of curating my wardrobe and bringing an item into my wardrobe that complements others. And, you know, so I've got a cohesive wardrobe that I actually use and I don't have it filled with sort of, you know, filled with all different items that don't sort of, you know, work together as an outfit. And I really, yeah, I'm more interested in the slow fashion movement, I guess, if I was to align myself and intent to any movement. Yeah. So, um, but that's like a lot of thinking. And, <laughs> and yeah. for people that I guess don't prioritise um, fashion as much or don't want to spend that much time on it, that could be a tricky 
Yeah, mm. it's definitely something that I have to remind myself of, that not everyone is consumed by this area of thought. And I think about it a lot, and it's a big part of my life. Mm. Um, and everyone has their thing, you know? Like, I would still drive a car, so I'm not going to say that I'm, like, ethical, you know, across the board. Off the grid. Yeah, <laughs> I still use plastic. And, yeah. you know, there's so many different facets to living a more ethical um, and mindful life. For me, I feel I do the ethical fashion space quite well, but for someone where, yeah, they don't think that much about, you know, what they wear and why, it's definitely, yeah, it's a tricky thing and it's always being fine-tuned, the message and mm. intent, because I don't want to push my message too strongly and then alienate people who mm. find it all a bit overwhelming. I would just like to sort of plant the seed and get people to think about it a little bit more and, yeah... Before going and buying something, just think, why am I buying this? Do I need it? What purpose does it serve in my life? Where's it from? Yeah, and the questions do continue. (laughs) (laughs) So how you say you're interested in people's psychology around fashion. Um, That does sound super interesting. I think it would pique a lot of people's interest. How How will you get into that in intent? So intense content has three um, elements. Um, I'll profile somebody. So say, for example, a designer. I just profiled Thursday Sunday, which is a local Melbourne designer who makes everything in Melbourne. Um, And I ask them about their relationship with clothing, how their personal values have informed their business, what they think of the slow fashion movement and what clothing means to them. So I'd like to dig a little bit deeper and not just be like, how, you know, how have you been inspired? What inspired you for your local, you know, I mean, your latest collection? I would like to know more about how people's own personal values, yeah, influence what they do on a business level. And, yeah, I guess sort of get them to start thinking about it as well. What's been really great for me is a few people that I've profiled have said that the interviews have allowed them the chance to really think about it themselves and take that time to understand their values more and why they're engaging in fashion the way that they are. Um, Mm. And so for me that's quite chuffed Mm. because it means that we're kind of, yeah, serving our purpose. So the Q&A interview goes alongside a portrait of the um, designers or whoever it is that we're profiling. And then there's an editorial element where models um, are wearing their clothing Um, because I do understand that not everyone's going to sit down and read, you know, a 1,500-word interview with somebody. Um, So if I can engage them in a more visual um, way, then, yeah, that's important for me because I don't want people to disregard intent completely because they don't have the time to sit down and really digest something so what will the balance be between words and pictures hmm i'd like to say it's an equal um balance however it's tricky because i don't want intent to be a melbourne-centric magazine but there are like constraints given logistics of getting clothing here so sometimes there won't be the editorial element because I won't have access to clothing um, totally. from London or wherever it is. I mean, I plan to build the empire over yeah. the next few years, so watch this space. But, <laughs> yeah, sometimes there will be more um, written content than there is um, yeah, visual imagery. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about how you think um, how our appetite for clothing and this fast fashion thing reflects kind of our experience of the world in Western society. Like, do you see different approaches to fashion as a reflection of different approaches to life and living? Yeah, I definitely think that it's not isolated mm. to the fashion industry. The world at large is going at a completely manic pace. 
Um, it's horrible. And, yeah. Yeah. And there's it's just, just no... consume, consume, consume and, yeah, no thought about... Even content. Yeah. Like, for me, intent, I understand that people love clickbait and they love mm. clicking on something, reading it for two minutes and going on to yeah. the next yeah. and pretty much forgetting what they've just read. I find it really hard to keep up. I just get overwhelmed going through my Facebook feed. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, so yeah. many things are happening. So stressful. Yeah. But it's like that with everything, right? You've got, like, how many emails that come in a day on different accounts and, you know, calls and how many apps do you have on your phone that you're trying to keep up with, yeah. you know? There's just so much accessible to us in so every different area of our lives. Yeah, that, and we're becoming yeah. so desensitised to things now, you know. You'll hear that something horrendous has happened and you're like, oh, man, that is shit. And then all of a sudden there's something else yeah. that horrendous has happened. Yeah. So you're on to yeah. the next and yeah. you don't fully understand what's led to that event taking place. And, you know, sometimes you think there's so much going on, I just can't even be bothered. I'm just going to, like, shut this off completely. Yeah. And go back to Instagram because that's easier, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then you feel shit. <laughs> if anything, you look at other people's lives and you're like, oh crap, she's on a holiday, right? right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, but that's an, but yeah. that's another it's another thing, right? Yeah. That you know you're c- comparing yourself to everyone, and that sort of brings back to the fashion that it is. It very much is a who's got the latest thing, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And so. You're trying to be the the coolest or the styliest or the skinniest or whatever. And I think from a publishing perspective as well, there's this real sort of like time sensitivity where you want to get something mm. out before someone else has mm. and everyone wants to profile that musician or that designer first before it becomes, oh, you know, the same old. But for me, I would really like the content to be relevant in a year's time. I want it to be really good quality content that you can come back to and read and think, yeah, that still resonates with me and it still means something. And, yeah, I I really kind of reject this um, quick pace. And I think, in a way, I do seek refuge in intent because, for me, it's quite calming to take the time to really understand someone's um, relationship with clothing and work on that piece of content and then release it and then slowly go on to the next one. I yeah, you would look at intent and realise that there's not going to be as much content as a Vogue or, you know, one of those sites that's very, yeah, time-sensitive and focused on that sort of content. And I guess that brings us back to the print thing, um, yeah. which is the ultimate question, why print? I, I've always loved, like, I collect um, print magazines and coffee table books and it's very... I don't know, it's always just been really important to me. I've had a magazine in the past and I loved going to the printer and seeing it and having that final product. It was just very satisfying. And I do think, well, for me anyway, that I digest content in a more mindful way when I sit down and take the time to flip through it um, and keep it for a couple of years or however long and then come back to it. And, yeah, I don't know why, like, I can't give you an exact answer, but I'm just adamant that I want intent to be print. Yeah, well, it's um, when you say you seek refuge in intent because it's calming to, it is a bit like that. It's like getting immersed in something, which yeah. you can't really do on a screen. No, and I also, I just hate screens. <laughs> I just spend so much so time annoying. on a screen, mm-hmm. um, whether it's my phone, laptop, um you know, my work computer, you know, Intent is a passion project outside of my work at ECA, Ethical Clothing Australia. So I go home and I boot up my laptop and I'm moonlighting on that and then I go back to work the next day and it ends up being a very long, drawn-out day on a screen. Mm. So, 
I'm sure, I'm sure you can appreciate. Yeah, I'm just nodding to you. <laughs> um, and before we wrap up, um, I'd love to chat to both of you about your relationships with fashion. Like, what do you wear? How do you choose your clothes? Um, what are some of your priorities in the way you dress? Because, like, in the lead up to this interview, I thought about what I was putting on. I didn't dress mm. for you guys. <laughs> I was like, how ethical You're is like, my lovely. outfit? Yeah. Right, I'm wearing my wife's flannelette shirt and, <laughs> and a singlet and some du jour jeans. Hey, they're nice. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's a very Melbourne outfit. Everyone I know wears du jour jeans. Very <laughs> so, good. So, I don't know. I guess I'm not doing too badly in terms of ethics. This is definitely from an op shop. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. how about you guys? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think I definitely um, think about aesthetics um, as a very important part of what I wear you know Um, and I think having a relationship with the clothing that I wear if I either have loved a designer for a long period of time or um, they have a really great story you know their manufacturing say they're ECA accredited I mean definitely I try and support ECA accredited brands as much as possible Um, but it's very dependent on aesthetic you know Mm. we can't wear anything so I think that for me it very much is I think about does it fit aesthetically for me will I have this for a long long time you know the clothes in my wardrobe um, stay in my wardrobe for a long time I buy very high quality and I would prefer to pay a lot of money for something that I have a story to go along with yeah um and that I will have for a very long time rather than just buying something you know for the sake of it so it is considered and it it, but I'm not going to say that I only buy Australian made products you know um because pretty much it's impossible to um unless I unless I have you know a very very specific um range of brands but yeah I think it's it's considered and there's always you know a reason behind what I buy I think for me, there's this misconception that ethical fashion is quite expensive. Um, My own personal uniform, I guess you could call it, (laughs) is I don't spend a lot of money. Most of my clothing is from an op shop or it's bought from a consignment store um, or I might have, yeah, a a hand-me-down. I often go to my grandma's and find some gems in the (laughs) the cupboard. Um, yeah, I think you can look a certain way and spend very little. Um, I I would say I'm not a purist in um, my shopping habits. I definitely don't think that I'm holier than thou and everything is perfect about what I buy. Um, but, yeah, like Becca, I do try and support ECA-accredited brands. Um, I buy most of my stuff secondhand. If I find something that I really love, I'll take the time to think about whether I need it first. I don't go to a shop and then buy something straight away. Um, but I definitely have a uniform that I wear day to day that is generally all black. Um, It just makes me feel good. Um, It feels right for me. Um, I don't feel the pressure of being seen in the same thing and being embarrassed because someone's like, oh, my gosh, she's wearing that again, you know? Like, I think there's this weird psychology where people don't feel comfortable going to an event where they've worn something around those people previously. Yeah, that's Um, a really common one. Yeah, it's never really... Um, been something that I can understand I'm more than happy to wear something if it looks good and makes me feel good I don't give a rats if you've seen me in it 10 times you know Um, so yeah I definitely am very conscious of what I wear um, and try to do yeah the best I can in terms of ethics Um, but I will always 
wear something because it makes me look good. Well, I think it mm-hmm. makes me look good anyway. I'm not going to wear something just because of its good. story, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think the fashion industry is design-driven. No one's going to buy something just because it has a nice story. It needs to be both yeah, mm. working together um, and coexisting. Mm. Cool. All right. Um, you better tell the listeners where they can find out more about Intent Journal and ECA. Yeah, um, you guys can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Intent Journal. Otherwise, you can find us on our website, which is intentjournal.com. And ECA, we also have Instagram, which is at Ethical Clothing Australia. And we also are online at www.ethicalclothingaustralia.org.au. And watch out for our new website, which will be launched in the next couple of months. It should be pretty nice. Yeah, I love that you both selected the least stressful of the social media. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming in, both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks once again to our guests, Rebecca Carey-Smith and Sigrid McCarthy. And those URLs, once again, if you'd like to read more about Intent Journal, you can go to intentjournal.com and ECA is at ethicalclothingaustralia.org.au. I'm Amy Middleton. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.